Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin. Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah. Thumma alhamdulillah. I think we had lesson number three tonight of the Lu'lu'ul Maknun or the Seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from the book Al-Lu'lu'ul Maknun. And last week we ended off our discussion on Abdul Muttalib, also known as Shaybah. His name was Shaybah or Shaybah Al-Hamdi was well known for. Shaybah the praised one and we spoke about him and we spoke about his father Hashim, whose name was Amr. His name was Amr, but he was known as Hashim, and we explained why and so forth. So currently we are still busy speaking about Abdul Muttalib. And the next chapter deals with the most important happenings that happened in the life of Abdul Muttalib. The most important things that happened that we need to speak about in the life of Abdul Muttalib. And there are only two issues that we are going to speak about on this or on this topic. Number one is the digging of the well of Zamzam. Digging of the well of Zamzam. And number two is the happening of the elephants. What happened with the field, right? The Ashabul field, the army of the elephants. So firstly, the issue of the Zamzam. There's a narration which was reported by Al-Bayhaqi, rahimahullah, in his book, Dala'il al-Nubuwa, with an authentic chain from Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiyallahu anhu, who said that Abdul Muttalib said that I was sleeping one day in the sacred enclosure, right near the Kaaba, when somebody came to me in my sleep, and he said to me, Go and dig up Tayyibah. Or Tayyibah. Go and dig up Tayyibah. So I said, Abdul Muttalib, he says, I said, what is Tayyibah? And then this person left me. So this was what? This was what? The first dream that he had. So we'll see from this narration that he had for a number of days in his dream this happened. So the first night what happened? They said to him, go and dig up Tayyibah. Now we know the word Tayyibah means, or Tayyib, it comes from the word which means something good or pure. Okay? And we're going to see that this refers to the well of Zamzam. So yeah, this could be an angel, Allah knows best, who spoke to him in his dream, or what he saw in his dream at least, this voice, this person said to him, referring to the well of Zamzam as Tayyibah, that which is pure, because indeed it is something pure. Right for the for the pure believers and so forth. From the time of Ibrahim and the son of Ibrahim alayhi salam, Ismail, it has always been a pure water and a pure well. And in fact, from the early days, not in from that time, there were two tribes, right from the mother of Ismail alayhi salam, alayhi salam as well. <coughs> what happened? We know the story. She ran between Safa and Marwa. Ismail was kicking the ground in the well. The water came out. Right? There were two tribes at the time that she allowed to have from this water. Eventually what happened was is one of the tribes were overcome 
and they were expelled from Makkah. When they left Makkah, they then closed up the well of Zamzam. They then closed up the well of Zamzam. And from that time, the well of Zamzam had been closed up. It had basically been lost. So now, Abdul Muttalib has the dream to go and dig up where? What? Tayyibah. Okay? So this person leaves him. The next night, he goes to sleep again. And what happens? This person comes to him again and he says to him, Uhfur barra. Go and dig up barra. Referring to it by another name. And this again is a name that is applicable to Zamzam. Because barra means something which is good, something which is righteous and so forth. Um, and this is indeed how it is for the believers. It's plentiful and it's abundant for the believers, whilst it is lacking for the for the wicked individuals, for the fujjar. Right? They do not experience the, the blessing of Zamzam. And then he said, and what is Barra? And this person left him once again. The next night, the same thing happened. He says, I went to sleep. And I, this, this person came to me in my dream and he said to me, Uhfuril madnuna, madnuna. And I said, what is madnuna? And what happened? This person left me once again. So this was now on the third night. Madnuna is something which is withheld from people. Yani it's something which is withheld. So at that time, it was withheld. And it is also something that is withheld from who? From the disbelievers. To this day, the Zamzam is something which is withheld from who? From the disbelievers. In fact, there's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama wherein he said that the sign between us and the munafiqeen is that they do not drink lots of zamzam. They do not drink lots of zamzam, although this hadith is inauthentic. Right? But we see the point. Why it's referred to as madnuna, it is withheld from certain people. And especially in those days from all, and in, in today's time, especially or specifically against the, the, the disbelievers and Allah knows best. The next night, he went back to his sleeping place and he says, I slept and he came to me once again and he said, Uhfur Zamzama, go and dig up Zamzama. And I said, what is Zamzam? Zamzama, meaning Uhfur means go and dig, go dig up. Zamzama. Now, firstly, the word Zamzama, what does it mean? Zamzam means abundance or something which is plenty. In Arabic, the word Zamzam is used for something which is in abundance or something which is plentiful, ample. Understand? So we understand now why Zamzam, the water of Zamzam is called Zamzam. Why? Because it's a well that never runs dry. It's always plentiful. It's always in abundance. Alhamdulillah. So Abdul Muttalib said, what is Zamzam? He, did not, he didn't even know what was being referred to. Um, and then this person said to him, Zamzam is that which does not run dry, nor does it shut down, nor does it shut down or taint. It is used to provide water for the pilgrims. It is used to provide water for the, for the pilgrims. And then this person tells him or informs him on the location of Zamzam. And he says it's between Al-Fawrthi wa dam Dam we know is blood. Al-Fawrth refers to 
intestines or stomach and whatever it contains. What is meant by this statement? This was stated, what's meant by this statement is, it's the place where slaughtering of animals takes place. It's that area over there where usually qurban and slaughtering takes place. This is what is meant by the statement between the al-farsi wa dam. This was the description given to Abdul Muttalib, which means it was at the pit of the white-headed or white-winged crow and near the ant colony. Near the ant colony. Qaryatin Namil. Subhanallah. So obviously, we don't know what this would mean if we were, or if we were uh, today, if someone were to tell us this. But this was known to Abdul Muttalib. At the time, he knew what was being referred to by these statements. Understand? So when he woke up, he realized that he knew where this place is, firstly. And secondly, he also realized this must be something important. That for four nights in a row, he's getting the same dream. Go and dig up Taiba. Go and dig up Barra. Go and dig up Madnuna. And the fourth night was, go and dig up Zamzam. What is Zamzam? He explained to him, it's that water which doesn't run dry. It's that water which will be used to uh, be given to the Hujjaj. That the Hujjaj will be fed and be given water from this, 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 this well. And then it was given the exact location as well. So Abdul Muttalib immediately knew there is something important at play here. This is not just normal dreams. He needs to go and find this place. And he knew where the place was based on the description. And he knew that something was truthful about this dream. Something was truthful about these dreams. And so he went out with his pickaxe. Ghada bimi'walihi, the hadith says, he went out with his pickaxe. And with him was his son, Al-Harithu ibn Abdul Muttalib. His son, what was his name? Al-Harith. Harith or Al-Harith. Remember this, this was his only son at the time. He only had how many sons at the time? One son at the time. So he took his son with him, took his axe and his goods with him, and they went to find this place, and they went to go and dig up this well of Zamzam. فحفرة. And they dug. When they came to Attay, Attay means that stones which is covering the wall, the well. Understand? So they dug and they dug until they came to that cement, you know, the, the, the end part. That stones right at the end. Abdul Muttalib kabbara. He takbir. He exclaimed, Allahu Akbar. And immediately when he explain, exclaimed this, and he started to shout Allahu Akbar, because he knew everything has now come true, what exactly, exactly what he had dreamed is now happening. He had found Zamzam. He had found this well, which means his dreams were true. Arafat Qurayshun anhu qad adraka hajatahu. The Quraysh immediately knew and understood that he had he found what he was looking for. He found what he was, what he was looking for. So the Quraysh, they did not go and help him. They were not with him. They didn't go and assist him. They let him go. And they thought, this is for what? Zamzam's long gone, hasn't been found for many years. It's a waste of time. They then came to him and they said, Oh, Abdul Muttalib, inna bi'ru abina Ismail. This is the well of our father Ismail. 
and we truly also have a right over this well. So share it with us. Let's divide it between us. Let's all share in this. He said, "Ma ana bifa'ilin. I will not do so. Indeed, this this job, this what happened here. I was chosen for this. I was chosen to do this job, this task, and I was given it. It was it was given to me from amongst you. So I'm not just going to give it over to you or split it up. I was something was specifically given to me for this. And so they said to him, "Be just. You know, let's be fair." And we are not going to leave you. We are not going to leave you until we challenge you. Yani even if it means we will take you to, to task or to justice for this, go and stand in front of a judge or another person, we will do this. So he said, Basically he said, choose anyone. Choose anyone between us, whomsoever you want. That will basically judge between us. That will stand between us and judge. So they said, Kahina Bani Sa'd Hudaym. Kahina, some woman who was out in, far out in Sham. Remember they in Makkah. So now he said, Naam, he agreed. We'll go to this woman, Kahina. And she was on the way to Sham. Right? So they had to travel. And they traveled. Abdul Muttalib traveled with 20 men from Abdi Manaf. This was his tribe. Banu Abdi Manaf, right? And Quraysh also traveled with 20 men from their tribe and their village. What happened was, is on this journey, they became extremely thirsty. As it was through the heart of the desert, and the Quraysh eventually asked Abdul Muttalib and Bani Hashim, the people of Bani Hashim, for some water. And what did they do? They said, no, we cannot give you any water because we too have run dry. We too have, have, have barely enough to survive. And we fear for ourselves just like you fear for yourself. And they said, Inna bimafazatin. Bimafaza. What does bimafaza mean? It's, it basically refers to that time when it is extremely hot and dry in the desert. They were, this is the time you are in. In a mafaza, in a time when it's extremely hot and dry, there's nothing to drink. We cannot help you. We can barely help ourselves. This is basically what, what they said. And so Abdul Muttalib, he turned to his people and he said, what do, you, what, do you, what do you guys think? You know, Consulting him, what do you think we should do? And they said, مَا رَأَيْنَا إِلَّا تَبَعٌ لِرَأْيِكَ فَمُرْنَا بِمَا شئت. They said to him, look, we will do basically whatever you say. We're willing to follow you. So you decide. You decide and we are going to follow what you decide is best. And Abdul Muttalib said, I think that each man should dig his own grave according to the strength that he has. He should dig his own grave and sit in his own grave and wait for death. They felt there was nothing they could do but... They were about to die. That's how weak they became. And that's how desperate they became. So he said that, look, each person should dig his own grave and sit in his grave. And if anybody dies and collapses, the next person will just bury him. And, and so on. Until we left with the last man standing. Because this is 
less of a loss of dignity. That if everybody dies here, falling over, or at least in this way, 99% will be buried, and only one person will be, you know, he will die on top of the ground, not buried. And this is a less loss of a dignity, basically. This is what he said. And they agreed. So they, they dug up their graves. And they sat there waiting for death. They sat there waiting for death. And then Abdul Muttalib, he said, Wallahi, inna alqana bi'aydina hakadha lilmaut. He says, actually, if we're going to meet death like this, in this state, without searching the, the land, without seeking out any type of life for us, la'ajzun. This is indeed failure. So he changed his mind. Basically he felt this is actually not going to work. We can't sit here and wait for death. Not make an effort to look for something, to, for some water, for some, you know. Let's rather move. So he said, perhaps Allah will send us some water. In some of some land somewhere. He said, get up and let's move. So they all stood up. Abdul Muttalib got on his camel and he was about, we basically instructed the camel to sit out, to start moving. And when this happened, as the camel started to walk, fresh water gushed from beneath the camel's feet. Fresh water gushed from beneath the camel. As soon as the camel moved and his foot moved from that spot, Water gushed on the ground. Fresh water. So Abdul Muttalib once again, he did takbir. Allahu Akbar, he started to scream. And his people that were with him from Abdi Manaf, those 20 people, also started to do takbir. And they all drank from the water. They filled up their containers. And they called that Quraysh is over. And they said to him, so they said to them, come. Halumu ilal ma. Come, there's water. Come to the water. Allah. For indeed Allah has quenched our thirst. Fasharibu wastaqaw. So they drank, they filled up their containers and so forth, and they then realized the virtue of Abdul Muttalib. And they said, Qad wallahi qudya laka alayna ya Abdul Muttalib. It's the matter has been judged between us. The matter has been judge between us and by Allah we will not challenge you over Zamzam ever again we are not going to bother even going away to that woman in Sham this was on the way to Sham she was supposed to judge between them over the Zamzam who gets the Zamzam who's in charge of the Zamzam will it be split is Abdul Muttalib in charge only and so forth when this happened the Quraysh said the matter has been judged Khalas, it's over we will never challenge you over the Zamzam again. There's no dispute anymore. The one who sent you this water in this desert, he's the one who sent you the Zamzam. This is what the Quraysh said. The one who quenched your thirst in this desert, this place of complete, you know, um, of complete dryness, arid, barren land, scorching heat. The one who quenched your thirst here, he is the one who, who quenched your thirst with the Zamzam in the first place. So go back to quenching, you know, to, to feeding people. 
and to and and to giving people the zamzam and so they return without even ever reaching al kahina that woman in sham and so they left him alone from that day onwards regarding the zamzam issue understand and at this point abdul muttalib he said that if allah azza wa jal grants me 10 sons and they grow to that age where they can protect me i will sacrifice one of them at the kaaba he took another a vow what was his vow he only had one son remember al-harith when this happened he said if allah gives me 10 sons if allah blesses me with 10 sons and they grow up so that they can protect me and be with me i will sacrifice one of them way at the kaaba understand what he's saying here for the sake of Allah, he means it like a qurban, you know, like a sacrifice for the sake of Allah, I will sacrifice one of them for Allah's sake. So he meant to him this was something good. Remember, these are the days of jahiliyyah, right? We're not speaking about the, the days of Islam. We are still speaking about before the, the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and before the days of Islam. Tayyip, so that is the issue with the digging of Zamzam. Is there any questions on this? But before we move on to the next issue, the Sheikh mentions a riwayah that's inauthentic, which speaks about when Abdul Muttalib dug up the well of Zamzam, he found at this well a gazelle, an antelope, and he found armor from gold, made from gold. All of these things, or the Sheikh says, is ta'if. It's inauthentic and it's not established. Right? Remember we spoke about this in the first lesson, we tried to, to, to have an authentic seerah and, and so forth, right? So the Sheikh mentions here, yeah, you'll find certain narrations mentioning these things, they are inauthentic and Allah knows best. Taib, we move on to the next happening or the next major incident that happened in the life of Abdul Muttalib which is the Hadithul Feel. Hadithul Feel, the happening or the incident of the elephants. And this is indeed one of the great happenings that happened or incidents that happened in his life that the likes of history has not seen. And indeed this was an evidence that something great happened and was about to happen. And that Allah Azza wa Jal intended goodness for the Adams. There was some goodness coming their way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them and blessed them in a way that proved that Allah wanted goodness for them. And it also proves the greatness and the sacredness of the Kaaba, The status of the Kaaba, That it indeed is the greatest house of Allah. The greatest place on this dunya. The most blessed and most sacred place on this dunya is indeed the Kaaba, Right? The, the house of Allah which we refer to as Baytullah. Tayyip. And from the happenings of this incident of the elephants. We have to speak about his, the man by the name of Abraha al-Ashram. Abraha al-Ashram. Right? We should know about Abraha. I'm sure we've heard about Abraha before. Abraha al-Ashram. Abraha worked for who? Najashi. The, a king. 
right? A famous king, and we'll speak about Najashi later on. Okay, so you can remember there was a famous king, Najashi. He had someone who was under his command. His name was Abraha Al Ashram. Al Ashram. And he worked where? He served Najashi in Yemen. He served Najashi in Yemen. And in Yemen, there's a place called Sana'a. Okay? Sana'a. It's a famous place to this day. It's, it's, it's there. Sana'a is one of the provinces in Yemen. So this man, Al-Abraha, or Abraha, he built in Sana'a a huge cathedral or a, a church. The likes of which was not seen on the earth. Huge. Fancy. And beyond. Its name, it was called Al-Qullais. Al-Qullais. Qaf Lam Yasin. Qaf Lam Yasin. Qullais. With the Shadda on the Lam. Al-Qullais. So, Imam Al-Suhayli, he said that Abraha, he humiliated the people of Yemen by building this huge church or cathedral and he used to import marble and limestone to build this cathedral and stones or rocks that was covered in gold was used to build or was taken from the palace of Bilqis who was Bilqis? The, the wife of Sulaiman, alayhi salam. So we know they had the, the kingdom of Sulaiman, subhanAllah, right? But from the palace of Bilqis, there was these rocks of gold that he imported and he brought over and he used this to build of this, this church and cathedral. And he also, he also built a massive cross, like the, of the Christians, a cross, out of gold and silver, <coughs> out of gold and silver. And through this whole building, he was obviously seeking status, right? He was seeking status and he wanted to be known amongst the people in Yemen and so forth. And he's, he was so severe that the people who worked on this cathedral or on this church, his ruling upon them was that if the sun rises and they did not complete their work for the day, he would cut off their hands. He would cut off their hands. This was Abraha and what he did in, in Yemen. So he built this thing which was called Qullais, right? Qullais. And so he wrote a letter to Najashi, the king. And he said, indeed, I have built for you, O king, a cathedral. That was not built for any king before you. The likes of it was not built for any king before you. And I will not stop, he says, until Hajj or the Hajj of the Arabs is directed to this king, to this cathedral, to this church. So now we see the intent and, and how he was, what his real aim was. His aim was that the people who make Hajj to the Kaaba, it must eventually be turned where to? 
to this cathedral called Qulais that he built in Sana'a in Yemen. What then happened was is people heard about this letter. People heard about this letter that Abraha sent to Najashi. And a man from Kinana, now Kinana, we spoke about Kinana last week in a hadith, it's one of the tribes, right? A man from Kinana <coughs> heard about this, what he said to Najashi. And he took this seriously. To him, this was a major issue. That this man can have this intent of changing the Hajj to where? From the Kaaba to Yemen or to this Qulais. And this was a man who was brought up in Mecca. And he was raised to love the Kaaba and to venerate the Kaaba. To him, nothing was equal to the Kaaba. And he can never be substituted. Understand? So what did this man do? Anybody know? Confront <laughs> Abraha. This man then went from his village all the way to Yemen to this place Qulais, to this cathedral. He entered this cathedral and he smeared it with feces. They defecated inside of this place and they basically, uh, uh, it says he even uh, gathered carcasses of dead animals and filled this place with it. Out of, you know, you could say vengeance and uh, out of hatred for this place, thinking you think this is going to take the place of the Kaaba? They went and they smeared feces, defecated into the place and filled it with carcasses. That obviously the stench that might have, must have come out of that place, you can only imagine. But what did this do in return? This only angered Abraha and made him, you know, mad with, with rage and with intense anger. And so he swore and he vowed that he will travel to the Kaaba and destroy the Kaaba. This was the consequences now. This is what you came and done. We will now act in return and we will go and destroy the Kaaba. And so he gathered a huge army and he went, it is said, either 10 or 13 elephants. Now an elephant, those days were huge and were used for war. Right? They were used in war in battles. And he chose for himself the biggest of all elephants. And this elephant's name was Mahmoud. This elephant's name was Mahmoud. Mahmoud means the praised one, right? The one who's praised. So in Arabic, it's a good name. Right? We have people today's name Mahmoud. No problem. Obviously, they're not named after the elephant. They're named because it's a good name. It has a good meaning. But the Arabs gave this elephant this name as well. Probably because it was a praiseworthy elephant. It must have been really big and powerful. Okay. Then this news reached the Arabs. And it struck them like a bolt of lightning. And they took it seriously. And they, in then their intention was now, we're going to make jihad. We are ready to fight for the Kaaba and the sanctity of the Haram. And 
a man from the most noble of Yemen and from the kings of Yemen, his name was Dhu Nafar. Dhu Nafar. He called his people, and whoever answered his call, and from the rest of the Arabs answered his call, they went out to fight to do with Abraha. The intent was simple, this is jihad, to protect the house of Allah, the Haram. What happened was this, they fought with Abraha and his army, and they were destroyed. They had no chance in reality. They were destroyed. Dhu Nafar and his people were destroyed, and Dhu Nafar was taken as a prisoner. So remember, there's an honorable man, a well-known man, but he was now taken as a prisoner, and most of, if not all of his people were, were killed. When Abraha came to him, Abraha's intent was to kill him, to slaughter him as well. Dhu Nafar said to him, O king, don't kill me, because perhaps keeping me alive will actually benefit you. It may, remember these are, these are these times of war. There may come a time later on where having me alive will be of benefit to you. So actually keep me alive. And so Abraha kept him alive. But of course he was locked up. Then Abraha continued and he came to a place called Khath'am. He came to a place called Khath'am and another people came at him, a man by the name of Nufail, Nufail ibn Habib al-Khath'ami, Nufail ibn Habib. And in his town, in this place al-Khath'am, there were two tribes. In the place of al-Khath'am, there were two tribes. One called Shahran and one called Nahis. One called Shahran and one called Nahis. Both of them came out to fight with who? With Abraha. What happened was is, they were also destroyed. And Abraha took Nufail, the man Nufail, they took him as a prisoner. And again the same thing happened, he came to kill him, and Nufail said to him, O king, if you perhaps keep me alive, this will assist you, this may benefit you. And indeed he said, I will be your guide. I will be your guide to the Arabs. I will be your guide to the Arabs. And these two tribes, Shahran and Nahis, they now submit to you. They will hear you and obey you. So after being defeated, Nufail then moved over to the side of Abraha. And he says, look, I will be with you. Don't kill me. In fact, I will guide you. On the way, I will guide you to the Arabs, and my, my tribes that I came with, we will serve you. Whatever you say, we hear and we obey. And so he led him and he directed him to the way. Until they came to a place called Ta'if, well known, right? Just outside of Makkah. Ta'if is just down the road from Makkah, if by cars maybe, less than a, half an hour's drive. Okay? They came to Ta'if. And as they came to Ta'if, a man by the name of Mas'ud. Ibn Mu'attabin, he came. Mas'ud ibn Mu'attabin, al-Thaqafi, he came from the people of Ta'if. And he said to Abraha, O oh, oh king, O oh Malik, we are your servants. Sami'una laka muti'un. We hear you and we will obey you. Laysa indana laka khilaf. 
We have no difference of opinion with you. No issues with you. وَلَيْسَ بَيْتُنَا هَذَا الْبَيْتَ الَّذِي تُرِيدُ And our house, when he means by house here, yeah, he means not the Kaaba, but he means like our place of worship. It's not the place of worship that you are looking for. The, the bait that you are looking for is which? Is Baytullah. Is the Haram, is the Kaaba. We don't have the Kaaba here. And we don't venerate the Kaaba either. We have our own, our own place of worship basically, right? Our own bait. They had the bait of Allat. Allat, you know, Allat and Al Uzza, the idols that they used to worship in those days. So they had the bait of Allat. So he said to Abraha, We have the bait of Allat. It's not the bait that you are looking for. So we have no issue with you. Right? Um, so just like those people venerate the Kaaba, we venerate this house of Allat. So we will be with you. We are, we are basically with you and we will also guide you along the way. So Abraha left them. He didn't kill them. He didn't do anything. He left them. And a man by the name of Abu Rigalin, Abu Rigal, or Abu Rigal, sorry, Abu Rigal, he guided them on the way to Mecca from their people, from Ta'if. This, this plan came out and he guided these people of Abraha towards Mecca. And so Abraha went with this guide until he came to a place called Mughammas. Mughammas is just outside of Mecca. He comes to a place called Mughammas. And at this place here, Abraha instructs his people and his army to go and mount the livestock of the people. To steal their livestock, to take their livestock. Until a man whose name was Al-Aswad ibn Maqsud. Al-Aswad ibn Maqsud. Um, he came out of the woods until he reached Mecca and he steered. You know, the cattle and the livestock of the people of Mecca away from them. And 200 of the camels of Abdul Muttalib were stolen. 200 camels of the of who? Of Abdul Muttalib, who is the grandfather of the Prophet. We're speaking about him. 200 of his, of his camels were, st- were stolen. And at that time, Abdul Muttalib was a, a well known individual, well known amongst the Quraysh. A leader of the Quraysh. When this happened, the Quraysh, Kinana, Hudayl, all those Arab tribes, they realized the seriousness of the issue and how, how serious this is. Um, then Abraha, after doing this, he sent another man by the name of Hunata, Hunata al-Himyari. Hunata al-Himyari, he sent him into Mecca. And he said to him, go and ask about the leader of this, of this place, the most honorable of them, and say to him that the king says to you, I did not come to fight you. I'm not here to uh, be at war with you. I'm only here to destroy the house, the bait, yani the Kaaba. So, what is he's giving them a, a chance here? A choice. Look, stand down, move aside. I'm coming to destroy the Kaaba, and then I'm gone. If you want to be at war, you will be killed. If you don't want to be at war, then stand aside and just let me destroy the Kaaba. That's my mission, and then I'm gone. You understand? 
And he says, فَلَا حَاجَ لِي فِي لِمَائِكُمْ I have no need to spill your blood. That's not why I came. So when Hunata entered Mecca, this was the message that he was sent with. Right? The people gathered around Abdul Muttalib. They, they informed him what Hunata had said, the message that he was sent with. And so he said to, they said to Abdul Muttalib, وَاللَّهِ مَا نُرِيدُ حَرْبَهُ وَمَا لَنَا بِذَلِكَ مِنْ طَاقَةً Oh, sorry, Abdul Muttalib said to this man, the messenger, look, by Allah, we also don't want to be at war with him. And indeed, we actually have no ability. They didn't have an army. They were not prepared for war. So we actually have no chance against him. But this is the house of Allah. هذا بيت الله الحرام وبيت خليل إبراهيم عليه السلام And this is the house of who? Ibrahim alayhi salam. So Hunata said, look, فَانْطَلِقْ مَعِيَا إِلَيْهِ Come with me then, with him. This is the issue, come, you speak to him directly, right? So Abdul Muttalib went with this man Hunata, and some of his sons went with him. Some of the sons of Abdul Muttalib went with him. Until they came to the army, and Abdul Muttalib asked about a man called Dhu Nafar. Who is Dhu Nafar? The nobleman from Yemen. Who was taken as a prisoner. He asked about him, you know, because that was his friend. Abdul Muttalib knew this man and he asked, inquired about him, and they actually took him to Dhu Nafar. Before reaching where? Abraha. He ended up by Dhu Nafar. And he said to Dhu Nafar, do you have anything with you that we can benefit from, you know, anything? And so Dhunafar said to him, I'm a prisoner. I'm at the hand of the king. If he decides to kill me now, kill me tomorrow, there's nothing I have, nothing I can benefit you with and so forth. Except Unais. Unaisan, one of the, the Sa'iq al-Fil, one of the, 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 the riders of the, the elephant, one of the men who rides the elephants, he's my friend. I actually know him. And I will send you to him. And you basically speak to him. And I will inform him about your status, about who you are, Abdul Muttalib. And I will ask him to take you to meet Abraha, the king, and so forth. You know, and I will intercede on your behalf, basically. So Abdul Muttalib said, that's sufficient. Hasbi, you know, that's sufficient. Um, so Dhu uh, Nafar then sent for Unais and he said, this is Abdul Muttalib, Sayyid al-Quraysh, the leader of the Quraysh, وصاحب عيري مكة. He is one of the people who owns, you know, camels and, and a lot of livestock in Mecca. يطعم الناس, he feeds the people. He, even the, 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 the beasts on the mountains, as we explained last week, the creatures on the mountain tops, he feeds them as well. And he lost 200 of his, of his camels to your king. So take him, you know, seek permission for him on his behalf and so forth. So Unais did this. And what happened was is Abdul Muttalib went to meet Abraha. Abdul Muttalib went to meet Abraha. And Abdul Muttalib, as we mentioned last week, was from the most handsome of people. And the most beautiful, and he had this awe about him. This, you know, this, this way about him that, that had an impact on people. 
And when Abraha saw him, he immediately was impressed. He had made an impact on him. He was something, you know, he felt something within his heart towards this man, towards Abdul Muttalib. He could see a man of, you know, beauty, of honor, of status, of really he had something about him. And Abraha basically allowed him to come close and they sat side by side and they spoke. And Abraha was not an Arab. He said to the translator, ask him, tell him to, to mention what he wants, his needs. So what did Abdul Muttalib say? Abdul Muttalib said, what I want is that you return my 200 camels to me. What I want is you return my 200 camels to me. And when he said this, Abraha said to the translator, tell him, the moment I saw you, you impressed me. You amazed me. The moment I spotted you and I saw you, you amazed me, you impressed me. But now that you've spoken to me, I've lost interest in you. Now that I've spoken to you, you've spoken to me, you, you've, you've lost my interest. I came here, you're speaking to me about 200 camels. But I came here to destroy the Kaaba. To destroy your, the thing that your deen is based around. The deen of your forefathers is based around. And you're not talking to me about that. You're talking to me about your camels. As is, now Abra was like turned off. Immediately, initially he had his full attention with just the, 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 the sight of Abu Abdul Muttalib. He said he was at full, you know, he was amazed by him. There was something about him. He had him. But the moment Abdul Muttalib said, what I want is my two other camels. Abraha was put off. Lost interest and he was like, you know, is that what you want? Is that what you came to me to, to, to talk about? So Abdul Muttalib said, Inni ana rabbul ibl. I am the owner of camels. That's what I do. That's who I am. I'm the owner of camels. And that bait, that Kaaba, also has an owner. It has a Lord which will protect it. I am the owner and the Lord of my camels. But that bait that you are interested in also has a Lord and that Lord will take care of it. That Lord will protect it. So Abraha said, Nobody is powerful enough to stop me, basically. And he returned the camels to Abdul Muttalib. He returned the camels to Abdul Muttalib. Um, Abdul Muttalib took his camels and he, he left it at the haram, near the haram area and so forth. And <coughs> he then turned and he made dua to Allah. And he sought help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And... He then instructed his people, the people of Mecca, to leave. To go to the hilltops to seek safety. Because he knew the army that he saw, with the elephants and the people and all of these armor and gear that they had, he knew that these people in Mecca, we have no chance. So he told the people, look, there's no chance, go. Go to the hilltops, go wherever you can, top of the mountains and be safe. Only him and a few of the elite of Mecca at the time stayed around the Kaaba. And this, of course, was out of fear for the people that did not be harmed by the, by the, by the army. Um, 
What then happened was is Abraha decided to enter Mecca. He prepared his army, readied his elephants, and they proceeded coming into Mecca. When they reached a place called Wadi Muhassir, Wadi, the valley of Muhassir, which is between Muzdalifa and Mina, so just outside of Mecca, between Muzdalifa and Mina, Barak al-Fil, the elephants stopped and they sat down, they kneeled. And they refused to get up and proceed towards Mecca. And it was said, whenever they stood up, or the, 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 the men instructed them to head towards and to enter Mecca, they refused. Even that man Nufail from Al-Khath'am, who said he will guide them, he was still there. Nufail then stood up, got onto the mountaintops, screamed at the elephants to enter, but they refused to move. They were hit, they were pulled on their ears, and all these things were done to steer them, but the elephants remained seated or kneeled down. When they were turned towards Yemen, when the elephants were instructed to return back to Yemen, they started walking back. When they stopped them and turned them towards Sham, towards Syria, they started walking. When they turned them towards the east, they started walking. To the west, they started walking. The moment they turned them towards Mecca, they sat down and refused to walk. They sat down and refused to walk. What then happened was is Allah Azza wa Jal sent down upon them Tayran Ababil. Tayran Ababil, which means flocks of birds. Ababil translates as flocks, but it's also consecutive. Something that, that just doesn't stop coming. One after the other. Flocks upon flocks of birds which came from the ocean. These birds, they came from the ocean. And each bird had three stones with it. One in its beak and one in each leg. And the size of the stone was like al-hummus or al-adas. Like adas, like a lentil. Small, tiny little stones like this. A bird. That's all the bird can have in its beak. That was the size of the stone. When that stones touched them, so each bird came and started to pelt them with, with these stones. That stone did not touch them, except that it cut off a part of their body or that it killed them instantly. The power behind that stone that came from that bird was such that it either chopped off a part of their body or it killed them instantly. Although not all of them were, were struck. But the moment this started happening, they fled. And they started to run and they rushed from side to side, from point to point. From where they came, looking for the way home. Where, you know, it's now absolute chaos in that army. And they looked for Nufail, the guide that promised them to guide them. And so Nufail, he said, after this happened, Ayn al-mafarru wal-ilahu talibu wal-ashramu al-maghlubu laysa al-ghalibu. 
That's all he could say. One of the things that he actually said. Which says, Ain al-mathar. Where is the, the exit? Where can we flee to? Where is the safety? Wal-ilahu talibu. When the true God is seeking you. Where can you run when the true Lord is, 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 is looking? Is, is, is the one that's seeking you out? Wal-ashram al-maghlubu. Al-ashram is al-abraha. He said is abraha al-ashram. Al-ashram al-maghlub. Ashram who was overcome. He is not the overcomer. Understand what he said? So he basically said to them, where can you run? It's Allah, the true Lord, who's seeking you out. There's nowhere you can go. And as for al-ashram, the one that we are supposed to be following now, he is maghlub, he is overcome, he is oh, he's destroyed. And he's not the ghalib. He's not the overcomer. He's, he actually has no power. His power compared to Allah's is nothing. This is basically what his answer to these people were. So they ran from pillar to post, trying their best to get back to where they came from. Most of them were of course destroyed and killed by these birds who were sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for Abraha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also sent down upon him a sickness. Whereby his fingertips fell off. One by one his fingertips fell off. And he also fled back towards Yemen where he came from Sana'a. And he did not reach Sana'a except that he was like a little baby bird. Like a chick that was worn down. That lost all of his power, its, its, its strength. And his heart burst out of his chest. His heart burst out of his chest and that's how he died. And he died the most evil of deaths. So this was the punishment that Allah inflicted upon this enemy of his who came to destroy his Kaaba, his house on this dunya. That by the time he reached, his body had, his body had withered away. It was diminished completely, dismembered. Like part of his body was, was falling off. And you can think, he was struck by those stones, but he didn't die. Some people were struck and they died. He was struck and it, we can understand part of his body was lost. By the time he reached Sana'a, he was so weak and so frail and so dismembered, his heart burst out of his chest and he died the worst of deaths. That's how Abraha died just out of his hometown. He didn't even reach home. This is how he died. Wallahu al-musta'an. And it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He revealed a verse, or not a verse, a surah. That we all know. Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi ashabil fil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Have you not seen, O Rasulullah, O Prophet, how your Lord dealt with the army of the, of the elephant? Alam yaj'al kaydahum fi tadlil. Did he not frustrate their scheme? Did he not frustrate their scheme? What was their scheme? Their scheme was to come and destroy. How did Allah destroy them? How did Allah destroy their plans? وَأَرْسَلَ عَلَيْهِمْ طَيْرًا أَبَابِيلٍ And he sent down upon them flocks of birds. تَرْمِيهِمْ بِحِجَارَةٍ مِنْ سِجِّيلٍ That pelted them with the stones, with stones of baked clay. With baked clay stones. فَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ Leaving them like chewed up straw. Like chewed up straw. Broken down. Finished. Withered away. And that's how Abraha ended up. 
like we said, like a, like a nothing left until his heart burst out of his chest. Wallahu musta'an. This is the, the qudra of Allah Azza wa Jal. When this happened, the Quraysh took great pride in this. The Quraysh took great pride in this. And they said that they are the people of Allah. Ahlullah. They then regarded themselves as Ahlullah, the people of Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defended them and destroyed their enemies. And this also led them to venerating the Kaaba and the Haram even more. And believing that this is truly the place of Allah. The Haram is really the place. Hence Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defended it. This happened when? Which month did this happen? This happened in which month? Al-Muharram. This also happened in Muharram. Which was five, which was, sorry, um, 50 to 55 days. 50 to 55 days before, before what happened? Mawlid al-Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 50 to 55 days before the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this we say is it was an ayah from Allah. It was a sign from Allah. And it was a fall, you know, it was, it was like information to say that something was coming. That it was this honor that was coming. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala firstly protected his Kaaba. And then he sends Rasulullah who will come and purify his Kaaba from the shirk, from the idol worship that was taking place, and so forth. So this was Allah firstly defending his Kaaba. Later on, he sends Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi in the same year, only fifty to fifty-five days later, who will eventually come and purify the Kaaba from the 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 the, 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 the actions of jahiliyyah, from the actions of shirk, and so forth. So the Arabs, what they did was, is this was they they this was a big deal for them. The the year of the elephant it became known as it became an historical event for the Arabs. This incident became an historical event for the Arabs, and so they used to say, this if anything happened, they would say it happened when in the year of the elephant. If somebody was born in that year, what would they say? He was born in the year of the elephant. If something happened the next year, what would they say? That happened in the year after the year of the elephant. Do you understand? And this became an historical event. Everything was now structured around that happening. So that was now the year of the elephant. As we said, if somebody is born in that year, what would they say? He was born when? In the year of the elephant. Not in 14, not in the year such and such after, you know. No, when was he born? In the year of the elephant. That was the, what the calendar was built around, do you understand? The next year he was born one year after the year of the elephant. Ten years later, ten years after the year of the elephant. You understand? This is how it was to the Arabs. This changed when? In the time of Umar ibn Khattab, where he changed the calendar to the hijrah, after hijrah. This was Umar's doing. Okay? So to us, when we speak about history, when we use the dates and so forth, our calendar is based on Hijrah. When we say 1432 or 1440 or 1441, it means 
1441 years after Hijrah took place. Understand? Tayyib. Um, let's stop, continue. Tayyib, I would like to end of the topic of Abdul Muttalib and then we move on next week, inshallah, to the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We come back to the, the vow of Abdul Muttalib. The author now moves to that vow that Abdul Muttalib made. What did he say? He said that if Allah gives him 10 sons who grow up, he will sacrifice one of those sons at the Kaaba. Understand this? He said this because he felt weak. He said this at a time when he felt weak because those Qurayshis were not helping him. Remember when he was digging the well? They did not help him. He only had one son who was with him who was helping him. And this is why he said what he said. Allah gives me 10, I will sacrifice one of them eventually for the sake of Allah. Those will help me and protect me and so forth. This eventually happened. Nine sons later, he now had 10 sons. What did he do? Did he go back on his word? Did he decide, no, my sons, my sons? No, he, he had every intention of fulfilling his vow. He had every intention of Fulfilling his vow, Allah had given me ten, now we're going to sacrifice one of them. So what happened was is, who was the son that he sacrificed? Was about to sacrifice? Firstly, he had ten sons as we said. The first son we know is Harith, his eldest son. His mother was Safiya bint Jundub. The second son was Az-Zubair, Az-Zubair, whose mother was Fatima. The third son was Abu Lahab, Abu Lahab, Abdul Uzza, whose mother was Aminah bint Hajar. The fourth son was Al-Muqawwam, 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 his mother was Halah, Halah, Al-Muqawwam, his mother was Halah. Then he had another son, number five was Dirar. Dirar. His mother was Natla. Her name was Natla. Then number six was Abu Talib. Abu Talib's mother was also Fatima bint Amr. Abu Talib. Number seven was Jahl. 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 His mother was also Hala. Then number eight was Abdullah. And we know who's Abdullah? Not the grandfather. The father of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And his mother is also Fatima. So he's the brother of who? Or the full brother of Abu Talib. Number nine was Hamza. Hamza. His mother was also Hala. And number ten was Al-Abbas. Al-Abbas. His mother was also Natla. Notice that two of these men became Sahabis. The last two. Al-Abbas and who? Hamza. They became Sahaba, right? Later on. So, Abdullah was the eighth son. Abdullah was the eighth son. Remember this. The youngest is who? Al-Abbas. 
The youngest is Al-Abbas. Who? Al-Harith was Safiya. His mother was Safiya. Okay. As for the daughters of Abdul Muttalib, then he had six daughters. He had six daughters. Their names were Safiya, Um Hakim, oh sorry, Um Hakim, Um Hakim, Wa'atika, Atika, Umayma, Arwa, and Barra. Arwa and Barra. So, ten sons and six daughters, sixteen children. When those sons grew up, the ten of them had now grown up. They, they were now big boys. They could protect him and help him and so forth. Abdul Muttalib then called them in and informed them of his vow. He then told them, this is what I vowed that I will do. Now that you are ten, this is what I have to do. What did they say? They said, what do we have to do? They understood. Their father has to do this, so they are going to do it for him. They will allow him to do this. And so each man or each son, they took a, an arrow. They took an arrow and they wrote their name on the arrow. And they brought this back to Abdul Muttalib. So he took those arrows and he went to the idol called Hubal. There was a famous idol for the Arabs. They used to call it, it was, named, was referred to as Hubal. They went to Hubal, who was an idol inside of the Kaaba. This idol was where? Inside of the Kaaba, Hubal. And this is now what you call divination, right? Divination or the arrows. And whosever name comes out, that's the chosen one. So whose name came out? Abdullah's name came out. The father of Rasulullah to be. His name came out. However, Abdullah was the most beloved son to who? To Abdul Muttalib. And so he said, if only it was not Abdullah. If it can just be another one. You know, that's, his, that's the apple of his eye. If it's not Abdullah, if it can change to anyone else, then I'm, I'm fine. But he wasn't prepared to sacrifice Abdullah. This is the Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at play. And so what did he do? Um, he, he did this and Abdullah's name came out. Again, it was Abdullah that was to be killed. He then went to the Kaaba and the Quraysh then stopped him. The Quraysh said to him, no, you can't do this. These were his family members that, after all. And they said to him, no, do something else. You can't, you know, don't sacrifice your son. We know you took a vow and they persuaded him. So he said, what must I do? I have to fulfill my vow. What do I do? So they sent him to a fortune teller somewhere out in the Hijaz. And to cut a long story short, Abdul Muttalib then traveled to the fortune teller. He said to this fortune teller, look, this is what I vowed. I have my ten sons. What else can I do? Fortune teller then said, how much is blood money? What's the, what's the price of a life in terms of blood money? For your people so he said it's 10 camels 10 camels 
So she said, this fortune teller, she said to Abdul Muttalib, take, take the arrows again, ten, ten arrows, oh sorry, ten camels, and Abdullah, and you got to now do the whole process and see whose name comes out. Either the camels or Abdullah. If it falls on Abdullah again, you must add another ten camels. If it falls on the camels, then you sacrifice the camels. Understand? So he did this process. Abdullah's name versus the camels. Starts with 10. Falls on Abdullah again. As does 20 camels. Does the process again. Falls on Abdullah again. Starts 30 camels. And it goes like this until it's 100 camels. When it's 100 camels on the line versus Abdullah's life, the, the, it finally falls on who? On the camels. And so the Quraysh, they come out and they say, Alhamdulillah, you know, they, they praise, they say, this is their tidings. You can now sacrifice the camels. Spare Abdullah. Abdul Muttalib then does this three times to make sure. And all three times, it's the camels that come out. And in the end, he spares Abdullah and he sacrifices 100 camels. He sacrifices 100 camels. Understand? So this is what happened regarding his vow. This is what happened regarding his um, his vow. So Abdul Mut- Abdullah in the end is spared and 100 camels is slaughtered and that is the vow of Abdul, uh, Abdul Muttalib fulfilled. Again, these things are obviously not halal, right? This is what they did in Jahiliyyah. This is what they did in Jahiliyyah. What then happened was is Abdullah grows up to the age of 25. 25 years old, also handsome, good-looking, well-built and strong. Abdul Muttalib then says to his son, it's time to get married. And he marries him to who? Aminah binti Wahb, Ibn Abdi Manaf, Ibn Zuhra, Ibn Kilab, Ibn Murrah. He marries her to, he marries him, sorry, to who? To, to, to Aminah binti Wahb, the daughter of Wahb. At that time, Amina is the, the most honorable of the women in the Quraysh. In terms of her lineage and in terms of her station and, 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 and rank, she's the most honorable of all women. And her father is the leader of Bani Zuhra, the tribe. Um, and as, as we explained last week, by him marrying her, both of them came out of the most noble of families. So from both sides, the lineage was extremely noble and honorable. And this is where Rasulullah eventually comes from. So, the Bani Zuhra, yes. Bani Zuhra tribe. Taib. What then happens is, Abdullah, he then goes to Sham. For business. Right? He goes to Sham. He spends some time there. He fulfills some business over there. And then he leaves. As he's passing by Medina. As he passes by Medina. He becomes sick. As he passes by Medina one day. He becomes sick. And so he says. I will go spend some time with my family. Some of my uncles. Of the Bani Adi Ibn Najjar tribe. So he spends some time with them. For one month and he's not well and some of these people that were with him on travel 
They then go to Mecca and Abdul Muttalib asks about his son, Abdullah. And they say, no, look, we had to leave him behind with his uncles in the Bani Adi ibn Najjar tribe because he's not well. So Abdul Muttalib then sends his eldest son, Al-Harith, to where? To find him, to go and check up on him. By the time he gets there, Abdullah had passed away. Abdullah had passed away and he was buried in Darun Nabigha, a place called Darun Nabigha. Or in, yeah, in the place of Darun Nabigha, who was a man from Bani Adi ibn Najjar tribe. So Al Harith, Al Harith returns back to Abdul Muttalib, to his father, and he informs him that, he informs him that Abdullah had passed away, فَوَجِدَ عَلَيْهِ Abdul Muttalib. And he becomes extremely sad by this. It was his favorite son. He becomes extremely upset and the whole family, they go into um, mourning and, and you know they were really affected by this and they were extremely sad by the passing of Abdullah. When Abdullah passed away, his mother or his wife Amina was pregnant at the time. She was pregnant at the time for about two months, about two months pregnant. Okay, so the point here is firstly that Abdullah did not die after the birth of Rasulullah He died when? Early days, in, in the early days of her pregnancy. About two months into her pregnancy, she, he passed away already. Right? So the Prophet Sallallahu when he was born, he was born an orphan. Right? He was born as a yatim, as an orphan. And hence Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Surah Al-Duha, أَلَمْ يَجِدَكَ يَا يَتِيمًا فَآوَى Did we not find you, O Muhammad, as an orphan? And then we sheltered you? Right? And we, you can refer to our tafsir on Surah Al-Duha for a deep explanation of those ayat of Allah consoled Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? But no doubt he was born as an orphan and his father passed away whilst his mother was about pregnant for about two months. His father at the time was how old? 25 years old. He was only 25 years old when he passed away. Abdullah got married at 25, was with his wife, then went on a journey for food business. In that same year, he passed away also at the age of, of 25 years old. What did he leave behind in terms of inheritance for Rasulullah He left behind five camels and some livestock some livestock along with that he left behind a slave woman from Habasha what was her name? her name was Barakah Barakah and she was also <coughs> sorry she was also known as Um Ayman Um Ayman right? her name was actually Baraka, but she was known as Ummu Ayman radiallahu anha why do we say radiallahu anha she eventually accepted Islam in the early days of Islam so the story of Ummu Ayman is she was left behind by the by, by Abdullah so she was with the mother Amina right 
when Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is born, what happens? Ummu Ayman is present, and she then rears him. She then looks after him. Right? She was basically, you know, there for him in the home, looking after him until he grew up somewhat. When he eventually grew up, he freed her as a slave. She became a free woman later on. When he grew up, he freed her as a slave. But she was there from his birth all the way through. And she was also of the people who made hijrah to Habasha. The first hijrah, right, which before Medina, they made hijrah to Habasha. That we will speak about in its time, bi'idhnillah ta'ala. Um, we will stop here, bi'idhnillah. The next chapter will deal with the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam up until the sending of wahi. Up until the revelation of wahi. That will be the next chapter bi'idhnillah. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shalala ilaha 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 ila